We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Valentin. Bro, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to see you, man. What have you been up to? Overall, I say we're doing good, but we got a lot going on. Man, I My don't know. Kids are beautiful. I don't know anybody that doesn't have a lot going on right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. It's, it's true. true. I just kind of think it's life. It is. Right? Yeah. But there's some challenging things happening, I think, though. Um, yeah, so it, it, isn't it? I don't want to talk too much before we get started with the podcast, but isn't it weird how some of the best things and worst things can be happening at the same time? Yeah. Like my kids are growing up and they're beautiful and that's a lot of fun. But, you know, Sarah's dad is uh, not doing great. My dad had a stroke this summer and he's doing good for having a stroke, but it's like the best things and the worst things are all happening at the same time. And one of the challenges is trying to figure out how to be there in the right capacity for both. Yeah. Right. You know, I want to celebrate my kids um, and the th- and the things that are happening with them. But then also it's very, very sad, you know, and difficult dealing with the um, the cancer and uh, the that the diagnosis and that kind of stuff. So because like my mother in law right now, she's on she's in the last probably hour of mm-hmm. her life. And oh, no. Yeah. She's dying of cancer and she did a two year long battle. Um you know, stomach cancer is stage four by the time they caught it. And so, I mean, like when you're talking through just the the unknowns of, you know, when somebody gets cancer, you're like, oh yeah. man, you know, or they get they get ill. It's just like, oh, that's a bummer, you know, and, and it's tough, but it's all the things that you don't, that you don't think about. And mm-hmm. it is, yeah, it's watching somebody suffer, watching somebody really, um, do all that they know to do to to persevere through life, and and losing them is a very very challenging experience. And but I've been thinking a lot, and not to get like super down this deep dark hole. Sure. Uh, but you're also a poet and a songwriter, so I, f- I feel like we can we can <laughs> maybe exist for th- those yeah, moments, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, my wife and I spent five weeks with our our young babies. So I have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old as well yeah. as, you know, three other older kids, but we took the, <laughs> the young babies and we went to um, our in-laws, right. Just to be with her. So we spent yeah. five weeks there and my wife's still back there. And, mm-hmm. and it's like this incredible privilege of walking someone to the end of their life. And then this devastating, like, I don't even know where to put it because you're watching someone literally like you're watching the end of their life, the very end of their mm-hmm. life. And it's really hard to know how to wrap your mind around that. Yeah. And at the same time, like that end is coming for everyone. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's really been on the forefront of my mind through this journey is that, None of us are escaping. Uh, you may not die of cancer or whatever, and I hope nobody does because it's yeah. freaking the devil himself. Yeah. 
but we are all moving towards that spot in our life mm. where yeah we don't escape death you know and it just makes it really real i don't know yeah man it is uh it's part of all of our stories and i feel like i mean like you said i'm a, I'm a poet and an artist and uh I haven't I haven't talked much about Enneagram in a long time, but people who are into the Enneagram would probably call me an Enneagram four. Yes, come on. And uh you know, and so it wouldn't be odd for an Enneagram four to think about death every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I met a I met a kid the other day. I was at my friend's house and their uh, son, uh we haven't seen them in a few years, and their son I've I've known him his whole life, but haven't seen him in three or four years. He's twenty one now. And last time I saw him, he was a teenager. Now he's a grown up. And so we we're sitting having these conversations. And I was like, oh my gosh, all this time, I didn't realize you were an Enneagram four. We have so much to talk about. And at the <laughs> table, he was like, am I weird? He's like, told one of his friends, am I weird that I think about when I die, um, you know, what they're going to say at my funeral and what, <laughs> what people are going to think of me. And everyone at the table was sort of quiet. And we said the blessing. And then afterwards I said, I think about that every day. All right. <laughs> pass the potatoes. <laughs> because not in a morbid way i don't enjoy death or like it at all i mean i'm not weirdly fascinated with it but the the fact that it's part of our story it's hard for me as a person Mm -hmm. who struggles um i um with i I always i always feel like i got to be the most me i can be and i have to sometimes remind myself like it's just because i feel this way doesn't mean the whole room has to feel (laughs) this way right like but it's hard for me to live in a world where that's part of it and not admit that that's part of the the part of the story. Right. Because it is, and I'm not saying I like death or death is good, but it does contextualize your life in a way where if you allow it to contextualize your life in a good way, it, it can, it can help you live a better life. Maybe take your life more seriously, maybe acknowledge Mm -hmm. some of the beauty in your life that you might be missing, you know, and, um, and, and when people get old and they're in those last days of their lives, you know, I've read interviews about the things they talk about mm-hmm. and they never, ever say, I wish I made more money. Yeah. They never say, man, I wish I'd have bought that car necessary. You know, yeah. uh, they say all their regrets, all of them have to do with other human beings. Yeah. It's real. Um, I, you know, and, and so I think it's easy to live life, and just think you have forever with these human people, these little miracles that live around you and get to the end and be like, oh my gosh, uh, I didn't do some of the most important, beautiful things I could have done w- with these people. I didn't have this conversation or that conversation. Yeah. And certainly, certainly nobody's perfect in that. But I, I do feel like if, if there's anything positive ab- about it, it's that it it does create an awareness in you that um your life matters and there are things happening around you that you may not see if yeah. you're too focused on the immediate need right i think it you know it's so true it's um we often need a real dose of reality to get us back to what really matters and and what's yeah. worth aiming at right because mm-hmm. i just feel like so much of culture is telling me what i should be aiming at and mm-hmm. and what success is and man and even just my own personal desires right like i have some real desires yeah. that sometimes i just have to beat them down and go man i i you know i really want 
I really want financial success. I really want, yeah. I like, I like a nice truck, you know, I like, uh, unending vacations and all that stuff. And I really, I did, I found myself, um, sitting next to my mother-in-law thinking, thinking those exact thoughts of the only thing that matters to her in her life is the community that she built. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all that yeah. matters right now are the people that are coming to see her, the the words that she's saying to them, and then what lives on through her when she's gone, right? Like, yep. what are the attributes, what are the gifts that she left behind? And, you know, I it hasn't fully cured the, well, I, I really want to work hard and, and have some money in my bank account, as as there's nothing wrong with that. But it really has helped to, to refocus and even just make me feel like I am being successful. I'm creating, I'm investing my time into the places that really matter the most, which gosh, man, sometimes if you're sitting on the couch at home with your kids and you're not thinking about it, you're just like, I should be doing a million other things right now. Mm-hmm. And the truth is like, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. But I should, I feel like I should introduce you because, um, one, if people don't know you, they're like, man, he's having this real deep conversation with, with a guy that I don't know. But everyone, this is John Mark McMillan, and John's been, I've had the privilege to call you a friend for for quite a few years now, and you're just an incredible man and an incredible songwriter and musician and uh, just a just a, uh, a great, genuine human being. And I always like to, I say this, I like to bring men on here that other men can can really look up to and mm-hmm. and model things after in their life and um i think being a singer songwriter it it really does like you're the guy it, it, we really rely on singer songwriters to say everything that we want to say but we don't necessarily have the courage to say <laughs> and uh or put things in a way that that help us really understand you know, a little bit more about life and ourself. And so you're just, yeah, you, you've done that successfully for a really long time. And, and so I just, man, I applaud you for, for doing that. And, um, yeah, kind of my own personal journey. It's, it's really interesting. Like I found you in the worst place of my life. And, um, I think you had written the song, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, how he loves, I can't remember what year you wrote that. Do you remember what year you wrote that? It was probably it was it was two thousand and two or two thousand and three. Okay, yeah, somewhere in that time. Yeah, it, which is just I mean it's aging us so much. But <laughs> I think I knew you because of that song. But then, um, yeah, the the worst time of my life, I was uh, going through my divorce, and it was right before my divorce happened. Um, my wife was in a really hard place, you know, and it's funny how, again, man, people are going to start listening to this and be like, I don't know that I can go down these deep, dark holes today. So yeah, you might want to buckle up or whatever. Um, But it's funny how often a hard time comes upon you and you didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. That's what always gets me. It's like, dang, man, how did I end up here? I did not see this coming. So it was one of those seasons in my marriage where it just started out seeming a little disconnected and it got harder and harder. And then pretty soon, you know, uh, it was, I realized like, I don't know that my marriage is going to last. And and I'm not even sure why, like, I'm not sure what's happening. And I was having just tons of anxiety trying to figure out how to pull my marriage together and reconnect and all that stuff. And so I was going on walks every morning, like, 
5 a.m. because I couldn't sleep very well. And I remember grabbing, um, gosh, I remember grabbing, what was it called? Apple made it. It was like the shuffle or something. Two, yeah. 2007, yeah. So I grabbed one of those. And maybe it was an iPod shuffle, yeah. And it was loaded up with your album. Um, I think it it was the the yellow album. What's the song inside the breakdown? The song, yep. the songs inside the breakdown. Yeah, the song inside the sounds of breaking down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I screwed that up. No, it's okay. It's actually too long now for the um for the screen. So have to <laughs> wait for it to pass by. So yeah. And so I put that on. I remember like the first day, like I started on this walk and I put it on, dude. And and you just start out like I'm breaking down. <laughs> and man, like that album helped me so much. It helped me process through, it helped me find hope. It helped me get to a place of peace. And I think when you go through something like that with an album, you feel really connected to the guy who wrote it. <laughs> it's just what happens. I'm sure you've done that in life, but it was kind of like the album for that season in my life. And so, man, I just, yeah, I, I always have a special place for you in my heart because uh, it's like we walked together through that season. You didn't know that you didn't know it, but, but we did. And so thank you so much for, uh, yeah, for, for just your effort and energy and your continual pursuit of of what God's called you in your life, it, it's it's helping so much. So I just want to start out with that. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. That's the the kindest, most generous introduction I think I've ever had. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what got you into music? Like, you know, was there like a significant experience that you had, or um, yeah, what got you started? Yep. So there's a number of experiences. I think initially I um I was really uh kind of lonely in uh junior high, middle school. And I always liked music. I think nobody's not a music fan, but I don't know that yeah. I was serious about a serious music listener. Just everybody likes something, is connected to something. And in middle school, I was having a really hard time fitting in. I was I think I was a pretty sensitive kid. I grew up in a pretty spiritual household. And then you're in middle school where it's it's literally like a survival of the fittest, Probably right? So if there's is. anything, <laughs> if there's anything about you that looks or smells or feels different, they're gonna like point it out and they're gonna exploit your weakness like at every opportunity. And so when you express that that bothers you, it's like blood in the water, right? And so they're coming after you. They're going to mess with you in the locker room. They're going to, yeah, you know, it's that like a trial by fire middle school years. Uh, I'm walking through that with my kids now. So that's, that's, that's Bro, it's fun brutal. exciting. Yeah, it's so it's brutal. brutal. It is. <laughs> but I felt, I felt really lonely. And I remember, um, uh, probably, um, I don't know, seventh grade, eighth grade. I, um, I had a couple of friends, neighborhood friends. And you're like, when you're a kid, your friends, like your friends this month and not next month, <laughs> you know, you have some of those friends who are better than others, but then, you know, like I may not have classes with these friends. So it felt like really alone. And I ended up making friends with this, um, this guy 
he was the, one of the most interesting people I'd ever met at this mm. point. He's uh, he had uh, bright red hair. He um, had big glasses and he was so different than everyone else. And so confident he didn't care. He wore big boots and, wow. and, and big pants. And um, he was kind of rough. He's kind of a tough guy, but he always, you know, I saw him stand up for himself and it sort of inspired me. I like, well, man, I, I could be friends with this guy, even though he was so different from me. I, I, you know, and, and, um, and, and he would, uh, he would stand up for me. And then I was like, well, mm. I would stand up for him. And we developed this relationship and he was such a brave guy, right. Uh, that, he, and he was really inspiring, you know, looking back, he had a pretty difficult childhood. Like I, now I know what he was going through at home at the time. Right. Mm. But back then I didn't understand. I was just saw him, you know, and he was really into music. He introduced me to comic books. He introduced me to rock and roll. Wow. He introduced me to so many of the things that I love today. And the beautiful thing is he and I have reconnected. He comes to my church now. I see him pretty often. Like it's just one of those friendships that I, I could even get a little emotional thinking about it. Right? Yeah. Because I was <laughs> probably drowning. I think I'm emotional because I'm walking through this with my kids and this is what I want for them. Right. Yeah. I want them to on. meet that person, that one friend. So having that one friend made all the difference for me. And he introduced me to, you know, probably things my parents were not excited about, but it wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. <laughs> it was, it was heavy rock and roll, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, that's <laughs> and, awesome. and rated R movies, but it was all about <laughs> the nineties and the, grunge and the dirt and the darkness but it was heavy and you know and and we listened to classic rock together and um and so that's when i got into really i think started listening to music and i started to think i really like to play and then i had a friend another friend uh at one point he um i didn't go to school with him because do you remember before there were texts like if you had a friend who lived in your city and you didn't see him or her on a regular basis you didn't talk for months you yeah. know, or you would, I'd have a couple friends I'd call and we'd sit on the phone for hours, really, because that's how you hung out before you had a car. You just talk on the phone. So I didn't see him for months. And then he, he came over to the house. His parents dropped him off on Saturday for whatever reason. He had a red guitar and a red uh, Fender Strat, and he could play all the songs from the radio that my other friend had been, you know, showing me. And I was like, oh, this is it for me. I was like, I wasn't great at sports. I tried out for the football team and I was like, I, I can't even get through the tryout. I can't even get through the practice. I'm, I'm dying. I'm such a sensitive dude. Um, you know, I'm like throwing up. I'm like, I'm like I, I don't think I can get hit again, guys. I, <laughs> I think, I think, I don't think this is for me. And they're like, yeah, we love you, but we don't think it's for you either. And that, you know, so sports was not my thing. Um, and I was like, oh, music this might be my thing. You know, I think initially it was like, girls will like it if I can play Dude, songs that, off the radio. That is real. Like Mark. So at first it's like to impress people, but then it became sort of a comfort through seasons of life as I learned how to play. It's this one beautiful thing about music is I could, any moment I could pick, pick up a guitar and play some chords. You don't even have to be very good, but music is, is really beautiful thing to do especially if you have a lot of time on your hands if you're lonely if you're going through something it's like it's a thing you can play some chords on the piano or strum a guitar something to do with my hands that helps me process whatever it is i'm going through or transmit you know things that i'm not able to articulate into an instrument 
And so I think that's how I got started in music. But really, really kicked for me when I really started to believe that I can do this for my vocation. Mm. You know, and maybe it's a calling. Was I had written some songs. And, uh, and people didn't really care much about my songs, which is not uncommon. Like, <laughs> you know, like people write songs. No, like it's the songs you hear are from the like, uh, 1% of the 1%, right? It's just, yeah. that's how it goes, unfortunately. But yeah. So yeah, no one was interested. I wasn't offended. You know, I don't know why they should be interested in my songs, but I wrote songs. And, and of course, everybody wants to be, feel the affirmation of, yeah, good job. Good job. And, you know, but I went through this season. It was probably in my early 20s. I think I was 21. I had actually gotten engaged and I was in a serious relationship. We were weeks out from being married. Um, thinking back of how immature and stupid I was. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine what my parents, how hard this had to be for them. <laughs> right. And we, we, we broke the wedding off weeks out. Wow. And I, uh, I fell into like a dark hole, right? And I was living in Charleston. I moved back to Charlotte to be around family. And my buddy, oddly enough, the guy who played the electric guitar, who inspired me to want to try and play, he was moving into his grandmother's house because she was moving into assisted living place. And he asked me to move in with him. I think he was like, man, I got to get you out. Bro, that's a good setup. You got to get away from the TV. So we, we didn't have a TV. We didn't, I guess at one point we had the internet, but you, you couldn't watch anything. We watched Homestar no. Runner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Goof Something off like that. But but we, uh, and, and a lot of times I, I didn't have a job because I sort of quit my job and I'd gone back to work. It, it's a long story. I went back to work at a restaurant and that restaurant closed down. And it's in between jobs and I was probably, looking back, I was probably really depressed. Mm. But I couldn't sleep and I would stay up late and write songs. And mostly because I just didn't know what else to do with myself, right? Like, I, yep. I, I didn't know what else to do. I was, I was just up. So I'd sit out on the porch, and there was this, like, speed hump in the road. Um, I don't know if you have speed humps in California, oh, yeah. but here yeah, it's we like, got some if speed they want to slow you down in the neighborhood and have a speed hump. So speed hump right in front, and I'd stay up late and watch cars bottom out on the speed hump, <laughs> and I would write songs. <laughs> and I realized very, very quickly that God and the speed hump and the Nightbirds do not care at all about the types of songs that other people think I should mm. be writing. And yeah. I would play a song, and, it, and it's like the songs I was writing before, I realized I was writing them for people. But in the middle of the night, it was like, those songs were boring. They were cool. They were interesting for about a minute. And then I had to find something. I had to write something that was going to keep my attention. It was going to matter. It, was, it had to be... There had to be something that was interesting enough for me to want to keep doing it all night. So I started writing songs, and I think the nature of my situation, I think I discovered vulnerability in that moment mm. because I started singing about things that mattered to me because no one else was awake. And so if I couldn't sing about things that didn't matter to me because it's a waste of time because there's no one else to hear those songs. It's just me and God and the speed hump, right? The speed hump <laughs> wasn't, wasn't expressing a lot of uh, interest in the songs I was writing. but. <laughs> I so started writing these songs, and what's really strange, I never expected this in a million years. After that season, I would play those songs for people, and I wasn't better. I wasn't a better songwriter. I wasn't a better yeah. singer. I wasn't a better musician. But all of a sudden, people actually cared about those songs. Mm. The songs I wrote during that season, people because you can kind of see it in people's face when you write a song. They're like, cool, oh, yeah, sweet. 
I don't think that they're BSing you necessarily, but that's, you know, it's, I'm glad you wrote a song. But then you write a song and people are like, oh, whoa, okay, okay. You know, they. Yeah, play that again. Something. It's like, exactly. Yeah. And you could see the light go on in their eyes. And it's like the, mo- the greatest data of all time is I can tell when something i'm writing has had it's having a real-time impact on a human being and you're like okay i'm going back to that well because whatever i did there mm. seems to work and i feel like I, I don't even think i had the language back then but i'd sort of discovered vulnerability i had allowed maybe even these days i would say that i sort of allowed some of my shadow into my into my work right yeah because you know i was singing i wasn't I was singing about the things that I was afraid of. I was singing about the things that I was sad about. I was singing about the things that I was embarrassed of. I sort of put it all out there in my music and not in maybe an explicit way, yep. but it it colored or affected or leaned on the music that I was making and I sort of embraced parts of me that I had tried to hide before. And when I allowed those things into the music, all of a sudden people, it resonated with people. And I think what it is, if I was going to get real psychological with it, is that <laughs> people, I think most people, and I don't mean this in a narcissistic way, but most people are looking for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're looking for themselves. And when they hear, when you allow some of your shadow into your music or into what it is you do, they see, they don't even know what it is, but they see themselves in you. They resonate with you and it endears you to the people. It endears your work to people. And so they hear themselves. So all of a sudden, my music started to to matter to people, or I could tell that it mattered. And, I, and that that season is when I believe I learned how to write songs. You know, the, in the music world, they talk about uh, Robert Johnson, who's the famous blues guitar player who inspired you know the guitar player, the rock and roll guitar players of the '60s. And um, they talk about the there's this you know myth that he went down the crossroads and he traded his soul to the devil. Oh for, yeah, uh, yes. For the uh, ability to play music, well, so that was my crossroads, right? It was that yeah. season, yeah. and I didn't trade my soul to the devil, <laughs> you know, not in a not in a significant way, no, no. But I did, um, I did identify that I had a soul, and I and I was willing to put it on the line or put it out there, and and I think that um, that I think that's when it really sort of started for me. I realized that was a really long explanation. But Dude, no, I think I'm, that was the beginning. I mean, I love it. And it's so interesting because um, I think for, I, I do think for all of us, like if you do something for, for a long time that never really taps into your true emotions, your creativity, those are those to me are the things that like eventually you just kind of walk away from, right? Because it doesn't really feel real and authentic and you're not really putting your whole self into it. And I do think that that's part of what's wrong with the music industry today. And not that we're going to get way deep and way far into that. Um, although I would love to hear some of your thoughts um, sure. on that. But I really do think that you're right. Like we are all looking for ourselves even in a best friend, honestly, that's my best friends have the same hobbies that I have and the same core beliefs that I have almost. And maybe they didn't have the same life experience that I have, but it's easy, right? Because I'm, I'm experiencing a version of myself that maybe they have 
you know, a, a little bit different, but they like the same hobbies and they have the same core beliefs and we like to do the same things. And, and it's the first thing that we all look for when we get a yearbook from school. I look for myself, right? We're all trying to find ourselves. What do we look like? What does it feel like? And I think in music is so powerful because what we learn is what I'm going through is also really what everyone else is going through. And and I think that um, I'm sure that you've heard of uh, the the guy who just became really popular, Oliver. Uh, what's his last name? I think I know who you're talking about. The yeah. guy from Virginia, Oliver Anthony. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember his last name, but I'm definitely familiar. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting because he just came out with uh, Richmond, North of Richmond, right? Like yeah. people started hearing that song, and when I first heard it, I went onto his Instagram page and just looked him up and he had 40,000 followers. Right. And I was just scrolling around the internet like a week later and I saw that he was on Joe Rogan and I saw that he did a thing with Jordan Peterson. And then literally seven days later, I go back and I look at his Instagram and he has a million followers on Instagram. It's wild. Because he wrote a song. He wrote a song that when people played it, they didn't go, dang, look at how good he is on the guitar. Look at how amazing his vocals are. They went, this guy's saying something that I haven't yet put words to, but I feel so strongly. And that's the power of music, right? Like the power of music, at least on one level, is you can explain something to me and with me that that like we can have a we can come to this place together where you're saying something that I didn't know how to say. Mm-hmm. And that's a freaking powerful tool. It's, it's incredible. It really is. And I'm speaking as a music fan. Yeah. Like, you know, I, it's unreal what music can do to you. I think the definition for music is sound and silence organized. So sound mm-hmm. and silence can make you weep. Sound and silence can make him take him from 40,000 followers to a million followers. Yeah, because obviously there's something that is imprinted or something that is packaged or something in those sounds that that matters. And I think that what it is is that um, we we live. I think we tend to think that our conscious thoughts are driving the boat, right? Yeah. That and and I actually I actually think that the subconscious is actually driving the boat. Bro, you're (laughs) so right. And the conscious is like the boat on the water of the subconscious. And so there's the subconscious you in here and it's as much you as the conscious you. And uh, it has feelings. And I mean, you can probably tell me all about when you talk about, about trauma, it's, isn't it the, where the body stores things, yeah. you know, and until the body knows how to deal with them, you, you know, you're traumatized. You, you hold on to those things. I, I've read some people believe the way you look and grow has to do with the way your body holds on. Yeah, so for sure. your subconscious is more you than, even your conscious mind, right? And so you're feeling these things. And when someone sings something, you hear a song like that, something in you sa- says like that, yes, that, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You know, that's what you've been trying to say to yourself for a long time. And someone says it to you, it's powerful because all of a sudden you see you, mm-hmm. right? You see you and you see who you are and you are honoring yourself in that song and you are honoring your own journey in that song and you're saying it's okay and you are okay because we can say this 
something about articulating your experience um, gives you permission to be who you are. It affirms you as a person, right? Yeah, it's so powerful, man. Like it's, it really is through through my divorce. I that's really where I really learned. Um, honestly, it's where I I figured out that I was creative. So before my divorce happened, I never thought of myself as a creative person. Um, but two things really happened that that kind of changed that. And the first one was um, I started to play the guitar and I picked up the guitar so that I could learn songs to sing to my wife to win her back. That's where wow. I, yeah, it was crazy, dude. So I started learning the guitar, started learning, you know, some of her favorite songs without her knowing. And then bam, right? Like she's gone and I'm left with this, this tool that now I'm going to use to explain where I'm at, right? Like I'm going to, it's going to be this catalyst that helps me to get out what's inside and holy smokes. Like, I don't know that there is a better gift in that season than like four chords and a lot of time, right? To just play. And I wasn't good or anything, but I could, it was just, it didn't matter. I was able to play and sing and cry and process out all the stuff that's going on inside of me. And then the other thing that happened to me in my divorce while I was working through that pain is I started to write, I started to journal. And not only did I write songs, but I just started to, I needed a place that I could process what was going on inside of me. And I found that like the first letter I ever wrote to my ex-wife, which that I didn't give her, by the way, uh, I took a step back and went like, wow, like that's actually, that's actually, it's, it's, that's actually good. Like I wrote something that was good because all through school, right. I was horrible at school. I was horrible academically, um, cheated a lot through high school because, uh, I, I had a really hard time learning and understanding and comprehending at the pace in which just school went. And so it really caught me off guard when I started to, um, when I found that I was good at, at, well, when I found my creative side, it really caught me off guard. And, but I do think that our creative side unlocks so much of who we really are. And unless you really dive in, I think that I would say most men don't actually encounter their creative side very, very rarely and never really experience like the depth of their creativity. And uh, I, and I want you to talk about that, but sure. But I do, because I do think if you tap into your creative side, there's so much vulnerability in it. And there's so much uh, for a man, there's so much, uh, at least for me, it was so vulnerable and so raw and even scary at times, but so much power in it as well. Like I, I don't know that I've ever felt more powerful and connected than in those times when I was processing through what I was going through. And I know I didn't set you up with a great question, but I'd love just, yeah, just tell me what you think about some of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, I was thinking about it. I had a couple of thoughts. Um, one thought is that um, I, I sort of see the world in um, it, it doesn't work this clean, right? But yeah. just for the sake of conversation, I see you, you can you could 
divide the world into two categories. Category number one is like things that keep me alive. Yeah. Right. And category two is like reasons to stay alive. <laughs> right. And the this category two is actually the real category. It's actually what matters the most. Yeah. But you can't access category two if you avoid category one. So category one is like, I need food. I need uh, sleep. I need yeah. a roof over my head. I need safety from, you know, maybe uh, historically violent neighbors yeah. or other armies or, you know, um, those are things you kind of need to survive. But then there are things that make survival wor- a thing worth doing. Yeah. It's good. And I think that, and I think this is what a lot of men deal with, and not to get too deep, but m- my father and your father were raised likely by a generation who grew up either in the Great Depression or fought in World War II and was asked to come home in the 50s and pretend that everything was okay. And I know when when you look at TV from the 50s, people make fun of how happy everyone is. But remember, like, these men were in the trenches and they were, um, they watched their friends die. They were killing other people. I mean, my papa went to war when he was 19, 18, 19 years old. Yep. He certainly killed other 19-year-old Germans. You know, like they're just teenagers yep. killing each other. Then they had to come home and pretend like everything was okay. And they had to go to work and they had to get jobs and had to raise kids. And then, of course, you know, the women didn't necessarily have it either. When the men were gone, they had to work in factories. They yep. had to do things that they weren't necess- didn't necessarily expect to do. Growing up, so I think in the fifties, everyone was like, "Can we just not talk about anything difficult or uncomfortable?" Even though there's lots of things in the nation that really needed to be addressed, it, I think everyone's just like, "Can we just not talk about uncomfortable things?" And so I can't imagine what happens when you um, when you go through the Great Depression, World War II, and then you come home like and, and have no way to process what it was you just went yeah. Through. And so I think that in different times throughout history, what is needed the most from men is to, is to shut up and go into the field with others and keep this other group of people from murdering your family. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is human history, right? As far back as you can imagine is, is like your neighbors, if they're more powerful than you, they're going to come and they're going to kill you and they're going to take your wives and your children and they're going to take what you have. They're going to make them slaves and they're going to. You know, and that's that's the way it was. And so a man couldn't appear weak because if a man appeared weak, he became a target because all you had to do was kill him to take what he had. Absolutely. And so I think that men develop this over time where I am not allowed to look weak because if I look weak and even your friends who stand with you, like if you look weak, I don't want to stand next to you in battle. I don't want to stand next to you when it hits the fan because you're this emotional weak person. Like like you don't want to play football with me. You don't, I'm, I'm a big dude, but you don't want me on the line, you know, like yep. you want me in the stands <laughs> you know, in the band encouraging you. But, but so we sort of continue that narrative within us. And so a lot of men are ashamed of expressing emotions because mm. I think it's your heritage. It's what you inherited from generations prior that says that if you're weak, you're going to lose. But the problem is. A lot of men are losing because they have not allowed themselves to experience the world through feelings and emotions. It's so real. Because ultimately, your emotions are are the way you interface with reality, mm-hmm. right? They're the way you experience your life. 
And so to, to shut those things off, I think it means that there's whole portions of your life. So you lock yourself into category one when you refuse to allow yourself to have emotions. And there are people who are more extroverted and more introverted, and neither one of those is more or less healthy. You know, like, so some people, you don't have to be expressive in your emotions to experience them necessarily. You know, but but I do think it, as men, we're sort of raised to like not feel anything. And, and I think that um, you reach a point in your life when you have to ask yourself, I am surviving, I'm feeding my kids, I'm feeding myself, I have all my needs met, why am I unhappy? Why do I not have joy? And joy is a word that culture has almost completely forgot. Yeah, it's true. I hear a lot about self-love and self-care, beautiful concept, beautiful things, but very little talk about joy. And I think that it's because meaning has almost been, um, is the, the concept of a meaningful life is almost lost mm. Be, because we have access to so many things. We think that we can find meaning in the data through the internet, through the endless opportunities for uh, pleasure, good food, alcohol, entertainment, all of these things. It's just like unending opportunities yep. for pleasure. But Viktor Frankl says that when, man has lost meaning, he will distract himself with pleasure. And so I think there's a point when, once you have survived, if if you can't articulate why you survived or what you have survived for, you can uh, lose a a portion of meaning in your life. And, um, and, and you can lack, you can lack joy if you don't have the language and the tools to express category two to experience category two, you know, which is the reason that the things that make surviving a good idea to begin with. Bro, honestly, I'm glad that we were recording that. Cause uh, <laughs> dude, you just opened that up and laid it out so beautifully. Uh, I really, oh, it's, um, it's not a question that we often ask ourselves in our day and age. And do I have joy in my life? Like, where's the joy in my life? And, I th- I often think that we we look at life as if there's some destination that I am racing towards as fast and as furious as possible, right? Like if I could just get enough money that I'm not living the paycheck to paycheck, then I will be at this place where I can finally relax, right? Or man, if I had a if I had a wife or if I had a husband, like I have so many single friends right now both men and women at, you know, they're in their mid thirties to forties and they're, they're like so desperately hopeless or, you know, borderline depressed. And because of this idea, right? Like if I had this thing, if I had this spouse, if I had this piece that I'm missing, then I would have this fulfillment that I'm missing out on in, but it's so much that's a lie. And it's so much deeper than that, right? Because it's like, if I, one, you're never going to get to this place. And we know this logically, but unconsciously, we don't, you know, uh, consciously we go, yeah, there's probably not a real destination point. I've never found one yet. Unconsciously, it's like we keep striving and pushing and running, trying to attain this. And it, it just never really happens because so much of the joy in life is in changing your perspective 
on what you're experiencing day to day. And that's a really hard thing to do, right? Like the Bible talks a lot about um, in everything, give thanks. So that's like a, that's a recipe in the Bible. It's like, uh, if you're going through something hard, another recipe in the Bible is, is Philippians 4, where it says, think about what's lovely, pure, whole, holy, praiseworthy, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And, but so much, I, th- I do think that it is the, when, when we are unable to access the parts of us that God put inside of us to experience these other emotions, well, then you're left with the other side of life, which is the analyzing, the measuring, the survival. And you're just, you, you just can't do that enough to get over here. And then at the same time, like, there's not enough good stuff in this life that's going to happen to you for long periods of time that's going to take away from bad stuff that's happening too. You have to be able to find the middle, right? Like you have to be able to be in the midst of the hard things while experiencing the peace that comes from changing your story, from focusing on what is good and what is holy and what is praiseworthy. Honestly, it doesn't even have to be like Christian stuff. It could just simply be like cool stuff. Like, ah, the the building I'm in right now, somebody literally uh, pays for it every month. We don't pay for it. They donate it to us. And like, that's a cool provision that just keeps on coming. And, and that opens up the other door for more thankfulness. And, but I do think that you're right with, as men, we have a really hard time getting out of the survival task mode and into a mode where we're thriving, but we're also vulnerable in our emotions and how we experience life because this wasn't taught to us. It doesn't feel worthy of survival. It feels the opposite. It feels like where I'm going to die. What happened to me in my parents' home is going to happen to me now, right? Like I'm going to get made fun of. Um, what happened to you at school is going to be what all your friends do now, right? They bully you. They, they whatever, hassle you. Uh, just a lot of guys have never overcome their past mm. and that haunt that haunts them. Um, and, and I, I do think that that's a big challenge. How, like, how has it been for you growing up in the church and obviously you've written music that is in the church world, you know, uh, you, but you're not just solely focused. A, a lot of my friends, they're, they are, you know, they write songs for church and that's great. That's fine. But like, how have you navigated the, that world? Does it feel tension at all? Like I'm writing these songs that aren't for God, but it's just, it's just for music, just about my heart. Like, how have you navigated that tension as a believer? It's not a tension for me, but I do think that it is a tension for a lot of singer songwriters. Like if the song I'm writing doesn't say Jesus in it and doesn't end in, you know, ushering somebody into the presence of God, like what is the actual value in the song? How have you navigated that? Yes. So I think that, um, foremost, um, the God is interested in human beings above above everything. I, I think I, I think God loves 
the creation. That's the first thing we learn. The first thing we learn in all of scripture is one, God likes what he made. And number two, it is not good for man to be alone. Those are the first two things. He goes, this is good. This is good. That is not good, right? It's not good to be alone. And so above all things, God seems to um, love people, right? And, And so when you write a song, there can be redemption in the song meaning you can literally sing about a redemptive thing that can happen yeah or i can sing about something terrible that happened and not not tied up in a bow but you went through something similar and so the redemption is in that you and i have relationship in that because you don't feel alone anymore yep and i actually feel like that is i don't like to be super um critical of of the church because it's, it's such a big thing to be right it's yeah how many billion people i'm going to say something Tons. that applies to all i, I don't know what, what how many christians are there in the world it's like i mean there's like there's like at least ten thousand here yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like i'm going to say i'm going to make one i'm going to criticize all you know three billion of those people that just feels like a little much but i will say i, I think in church it can be a little too task oriented sometimes mm-hmm. and we forget that like people are not coming to church to learn all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not even saying that, I guess that's not what I mean. People are not coming to church to tick a box. Like they're coming to church to experience all facets of their life in the presence of God, in the shadow of God, in the, in the, um, within speaking distance of, of scripture. Right. It's like in, um, I can't remember who said this, but a friend of mine said he he didn't like Bob Dylan's Christian albums. I actually kind of <laughs> did. I kind of did. He didn't like them, and he said he said that he didn't want to hear Bob Dylan singing Christian music. He yeah. wanted to hear what a Christian Bob Dylan has to say about the world. He oh, thought that's that was cool. More interesting. Yeah, that's cool. And so for me, it's a uh, I see it as my vocation is uh, sing worship songs in church. But also, um, I feel like some of an obligation to express who I am into the world. The other thing is, I feel like I and I, I don't feel this way about other people, but about myself is the God song is is honest. If I don't have to do it, mm. right? If yeah. I have to do it, then it's almost like I'm. It's it, ha, it has to be a choice. So if I can't write a song about my wife or anything else, it feels un dishonest to try and write about God. That's obviously just my point of view, and it doesn't even mean it applies to other people. But yeah. so for me, it's like the freedom to write about whatever I want to write about. Um, to me, adds to whatever it is that I write about because it it hopefully it rings honest when I do say it, whatever it is that I'm trying to say. So there has been a tension. I think the the world has changed a good bit in the last few years, where I'm I'm allowed to sing about different things and yeah. I can be taken seriously with my worship music and do the other thing. Um, I think the, the the problem really comes when one of those two things is more world, there's more worldly success attached to one Yeah. because then there's a temptation to double down on it. And that's good business, right? You like yeah. maximize your profit, double down. If you have seven products and one is outperforming the other six and ditch the other six yep, do that. And, and it's, I get that. But when it comes to making something that, is art when it comes to being involved in category two it's like you you have to acknowledge that category one exists that the survival exists you have to acknowledge that i can't record an album without money but the money has to serve 
the art. Yeah. And the art starts serving the money, things get a little bit sideways. And I understand that that's, that there's always a tension there. Like that's never fully going to go away. That's just part of the, of the process is figuring out how to navigate. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, how have you, how have you managed that? Because I don't know. I mean, one, I just think in general, as a, as a man and as a businessman, businessman, there's a lot of businessmen that listen to the podcast. Like it's, it's really tempting and easy to chase success and to find yourself like, man, I really am just, uh, I'm chasing success. And I know that that's something that obviously you've come across a lot because you've had a lot of success in music. I mean, you have over half a million listens on Spotify each month and, you know, just like the stats go on and on and on. How do you manage your heart and not just like, I got to sit down right now and write another banger so that people freaking like it and I get paid. Like, how do you manage that? (laughs) So it's difficult actually. Yeah. I, I think I wrestle with that every day. That might be the first thing I think about when I wake up every yeah, morning. If I'm I love just being that. totally honest. I love that. But I think that I have to remind myself that um I'm I wasn't put on this earth to be successful, but I've been given success so that I can attempt to accomplish what I've been put on this earth mm. to do. So I'm not demeaning the success or being unthankful or ungrateful for the success. And I'm certainly not saying I don't like it. Like I do Yeah, absolutely. It. But the survival, the, the, the survival exists for the category two. The, the, um, the, the, the money you make and the success exists so that you can do something else with the success. And when it gets turned upside down, I think is where it gets wonky. Right. But every businessman out there who is making money, like has opportunity to do really good things in the world that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. They have opportunities to take care of their family, speak into the lives of people, you know, so. I'm not down on success. I just think that success needs to serve the um, the reason that you're here. Otherwise, you'll just success yourself into the grave. Yeah. Right? And it's the true. other thing that's interesting is the word success. Doesn't the word success really come from the idea of a successor or what you leave behind? This real success is not what you accumulate. Real success is the impact you have, maybe when you're gone even. Yeah. Right? To me, that's success and succession, like the show. You know, it's all about that, right? Who's going to inherit the crown? What's left? What is the impact? What matters? Right. And they all, of course, have the wrong idea of what matters. It's all about power. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I, but you can't, yeah, you can't carry power into your grave, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Unfortunately, I know, no. Yeah. I know for me, like, it's, I, I agree. Like, it's a, it's always something that I have to to wrestle with and make sure that like, am I doing what I'm doing because like I really believe in it? And is that my number one motivation and driver? And if I can make money doing that, that's even better, right? That's a, a, a benefit, a bonus. But I do think too, like sometimes where when I when I make my mission the main focus, then I'm back into that creative place where I go like, okay, I really want to help men. Right. And I can help men because I really want to make money or I can help men because I want to see men get, get well. And when I start from a place of like, I really want to see men get well. Okay. What's the best way to do that? And if I start from that place, 
then I'll create a really cool thing for men that really helps them. And great, if I can monetize that, that's cool. If everyone can win, that's awesome. But if I can't monetize that, I'm still accomplishing the mission, right? I'm helping men get well. And ultimately, that's the only thing that really matters. And I just, like, I've had to check myself too and go back just even in my personal life and go like, okay, my main motivation has to be my main mission. And everybody's got to eat, you know, everybody's got to buy gas and do all those things. And I got to take care of my family. But I, there's a scripture in the Bible that says a man's gift makes a way for him and brings him before Mm -hmm. Kings. And it's like, if I just do my gift really well and steward that really well, I'll get back, you know, like that will naturally have this progression, this place that, that really takes care of me and takes care of my family and takes care of the people around me. But it, dude, I think I would be lying as well to say like, that's not a battle, you know, that it it is a battle that I have to continually refocus and remind myself to, to focus on what's important. Yeah. Yeah. That's a challenge. What it is. Do you have a song that you feel like this is, this is the most important song I've ever written? I, I don't normally have favorite songs within the past few years. There's a song called The Road, The Rocks, and The Weeds, which is my mm. my favorite song I've ever written. Wow. It's, it's the the whole concept is that uh Jesus is the is the God who feels your diseases. He doesn't just heal your diseases, he also feels them. And the whole idea is that this is what separates Jesus from all the other gods. So wow. one of the lines is uh this idea of Jesus, <laughs> you know, it's obviously uh um poetry and it's almost like jesus is is sitting on mount olympus with the other gods and jesus is the one who decides to descend mount olympus and live among the uh the bugs <laughs> that we are right but not just that he goes all the way down and you know his like blood is spread out in creation in the dirt wow. you know his body is buried it's just it's i feel like there was a point where i missed one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel and i don't know how it happened hmm. you know maybe i i saw god as kind of a means to an end maybe i saw god in category 1 <laughs> i didn't realize that like, yes god doesn't just want to heal you he also wants to feel what you're going through wow right and like jesus almost um uh it's like i can't I can't have a relationship with a God who expresses no weakness. It's like well, God, their vulnerability yeah. is your only opportunity to in with anybody, yeah. to have any real connection. And so God makes himself vulnerable in the most possible, the most vulnerable. He makes himself as vulnerably as he possibly could, naked and dying. And this is the picture of God. Jesus is what yeah. God looks like when he shines, right? And so yeah. this, when you're looking at Jesus on the cross, you're looking at God. Jesus is, and that's why the, the cross matters as much as the resurrection. Hmm. We celebrate the resurrection because, uh, you know, theologically, I guess, we're redeemed in the resurrection, but it's almost yeah. like Jesus saved God on the cross, right? Hmm. Jesus almost, like, kind of redeemed God in that we had no access into God. And Jesus becomes weak. And we see ourselves in Jesus and we can have relationship. You know, it's hard to have a relationship with a God who watches the Holocaust with a bag of chips and a tall boy. Yeah, dude. Right? Yes. And it, but it's different when you're like, but our God also suffers. It's like, I can have a relationship with a God like that. Right? And so, for me, 
I don't even know how we got here. How did we get? Here? Uh, we're talking about oh, your most important song. song. Yeah, the the road, the rocks, and the weeks. It, you know, Dude, it's, it's Jesus. It's it, it's about the it's it's really sort of based on the parable of the uh, of the sower, and the sower sows seed everywhere. He sows the seed on the road, and I think we often get the parables backwards. Hmm. We're always thinking in the parables in the light of us, like what type of sower sows his seed where the birds can take it away. He sows his seed where the weeds can grab it. He sows the seed where um, where there are rocks. He doesn't hold back, right? He sows his body into the world, totally vulnerable. He gives it to us whether we accept it or not. It's just beautiful to me. Wow, man. This idea that the, the sower is sowing himself into the world. Bro, that's powerful. I, <laughs> it gets me. It it's really powerful. gets me. Because I actually lost my faith for a season. I feel like I was coming back to faith when you and I kind of met. Yeah. It is one of those things. It wasn't like a hard, I'm gone, I'm back. But it was like this idea of Jesus is the, is the Jesus that, that brings me back over and over. Because sometimes sometimes you don't get healed, right? Like sometimes you don't get healed. And even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, died again at some point. So it's like, we we want to go to God to escape, you know, certain aspects of humanity that are inescapable. And God is like, I will I will save you from a lot of things, but there's something God is not going to save you from. But what He will do is He will walk with you yeah. through all of it, down to the deepest place, to the deepest darkest place. Yeah, I <laughs> sorry, I just got heavy. No, I, I like heavy. it because it's. It's tangible. It's real. I mean, it it's connected, right? And I often share this with men, um, the same topic, but with temptation, right? A lot of guys, a lot of guys really fear their sex drive. They have such a hard time. It's it's such a battle, and I understand that. Um, and, and for a lot of men, it's really tormenting because uh, they're having a hard time managing themselves, and it's leading them to really deep, dark places where they feel lots of shame. And so then you have the the other side of like Christianity, well, most of Christianity where men feel shame for even feeling tempted, right? If they even feel tempted as if they're the ones that created the wiring that creates the temptation. And so I tell guys a lot, like there's no sin in being tempted, right? And And because I didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what I want? I want to be attracted to butts and bellies and boobs and long legs. Like that's what I want. I didn't actually create that, right? I didn't wire myself. God looked at me and he wired me to, to desire that the same way that he wired me to desire food. And, but what, what creates nobility in a man is a man who directs that desire, right? Like I really want food. I don't just want healthy food. Like I want food and now I'm going to manage that appetite and I'm only going to eat this food or I really want wealth. Well, I don't go and, and rob my neighbors so that I acquire wealth. I do it in a way that's noble. And same thing with our sex drive. Like I recognize that, man, there's all this opportunity. I'm on the beach in South Carolina you know, for five weeks. And it's like every week you go out there, there's opportunity. And my body recognizes that, right? Like I see it and I go, wow. And then I make a noble choice. Like that woman's not my wife. And so 
I'm going to direct my appetite back to here. And when you start to explain to people, to men in church, that Jesus was tempted in every way, like Jesus knows what it feels like to be in the beach in South Carolina and look up and see a woman walking in a almost nothing nowadays and to feel that pull towards making a decision to a selfish decision to have her right or and he knows what it feels like to feel pull the pull towards another man with same sex attraction like Jesus Jesus knows that and and if he doesn't like if Jesus doesn't know what it feels like to be tempted then he never actually really came down in the flesh and he never really made himself fully man right he doesn't actually really understand me unless he was tempted in every way in man I'll tell you like the body of Christ feels really uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus was really human that he really that he really was tempted in every way that he really uh did bleed that he you know that he really did get thirsty that he he needed sleep that he needed rest that he didn't just give everything away to everyone you know all the time that he had real boundaries and but I do think that it's so important right to meet to actually meet the Jesus that really does know what it's like to be you mm-hmm. because yeah. that's where all the power lies, right? Like if Jesus overcame yeah. this, then I can too. If, yeah. if Jesus, if Jesus really did feel what it feels like to be me and he took that to the cross, right? In his nakedness and in his brokenness, he died so that I wouldn't have to suffer so that I wouldn't have to be alone. There's so much power in that. And, mm. Man, I just love that you opened that up because I do think that a lot of men, a lot of people, I mean, I mostly talk to men because of the podcast and a lot of women listen to the podcast, but I do think that it's very hard to serve a God that you don't think is anything like you. Yeah. And that really throws people off. It's difficult to serve a God who requires things of you that he doesn't require of himself. Ah, yeah. That's difficult. So here I'm going to create you. I'm going to create you without any sort of God powers, and you're going to have to figure it out yourself. And by the way, don't don't do anything that I wouldn't do, right? Yeah. And yeah, it's it's difficult. But when you realize God's living life with you, and I think it's, the, I can't remember what the term is, but the term means as it is on the small, so it is in the big. As in a song, when someone hears a song and they hear themselves in my song or whoever's song, because of the vulnerability, they feel unalone because of that vulnerability. And so when you see yourself in Jesus, you feel unalone because you realize you're, you've always been accepted by God and in the, you've always been in the presence of God. It's incredible life. You know, and that you don't, you can't control God with your morality, right? You can't control God through living right, but we live right out of a sense of gratitude right we used to live life out of a, out of a, from a place of joy it's like a it's a it's a joy not to let my eyes wander right because i know where they belong and and it's a joy and everything like the the word passion comes from the word that means to suffer mm. right and so no, the only the only things in your life that you have that are true passions are things that you're willing to suffer for when you decide, like, I'm going to marry this w- beautiful woman, 
I am going to suffer in the in the sense that I am letting go of of any opportunity to have an intimate relationship with anybody else. Yeah. But it's your passion because it's worth it. It's entirely worth it. You know? And so I think when we learn how to live from that place of joy, it's like it it becomes a um it becomes a passion. So it's like an honor to give something up for something that brings you joy. And you learn how to find I talk about this like I'm a ninja when it's like <laughs> Bro, you're doing it. Everybody everybody's figuring this out, right? Everybody is growing. I'm like I'm definitely not a Jedi. I'm like not even a Padawan, right? I'm <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. But it's true. When you find something you love, it's it's easy to um uh, like when I'm on tour, sometimes I don't talk. And you know me, I'm mm. like uh I I've I'm long-winded. <laughs> But it's a joy to not talk on tour so that I won't lose my voice when I sing. And some people just can't imagine going a whole day without talking. Yeah. You know, and I can do it. I can go a whole day without talking. But like, but it's my choice. Any moment I could talk, but I just love what my voice can do on a good night when, you know. Yeah. And and I love the power in my voice. And so it's, we look at things backwards sometimes, like. Sin is not about what you can get away with, you know? Yeah. It's like a holiness is not about what you can get away with. It's about like the opportunities for joy that you have when you fully choose, right? What is the, I, I love this passage. It's, it gets me through a lot, but it says, for the joy set before them, he endured yeah. the cross, right? And joy, I believe, and this is the difference in joy and happiness, in my opinion is joy and passion are related in the sense that joy is the meaning that comes from um, choosing to suffer for something good. Mm. And suffering, that sounds such a heavy word. It doesn't mean <laughs> I'm like, doesn't mean I'm like banging my hand with a hammer. Yeah. Right. But it means it's the joy that comes from sac- sacrifice. It's the joy yeah. that comes from giving up something else. Cause there's no way to have, a real intimate relationship with my wife if I don't give up intimate relationships with everybody else. Yeah. Right? That's you real. They have no access to that joy. Not really. You have access to the momentary pleasure, but the joy of having like real, true intimacy is not possible if I don't choose to sacrifice something else for it. And it's sort of the Jesus principle that applies to almost every area of life. You die to be resurrected. You die to live again. You know, and it's an honor to <laughs> to die in that sense. Yeah, dude. I, I, I mean, you it. can keep going on and on. All my friends who love what they do. Ever met a football player who loves to get hit? They're like, bring it on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. And they can't wait to get out there on the field and be the first one to get hit. And they just yeah. shake it off. And they're like, life is good. This is what it feels <laughs> like to be alive. It's sort of like we need a little a rewiring sometimes where we realize, like, I want to sacrifice certain yeah. things. It's a joy to do it. Well, it's where the most fulfillment is, right? Like at the, yeah. at the end of the day, the most fulfillment lies in our sacrifice. It's the fruit of our yeah. sacrifice that brings anything that is worth uh, its weight, uh, you know, it's worth doing. And so I really do think that it, the suffering brings brings the, the real long-lasting joy, you know, makes it all worth it. Um, Okay, we're going to wrap up here soon. What do you what have you been working on that we can look forward to? I I'm definitely traveling some and performing. Uh, I say performing. 
Um, but I'm, I've got shows I'm doing with my band and then I'm doing cool. a, an acoustic thing too, where I do more talking. It's, it's sort of a new format over the years. I'll, I'll say some things at our shows and people have told me how much they enjoyed that. And, uh, and so I've created sort of a, a show situation where I can do more talking as well. So I'm, I'm sort of trying that out. So I've got these short runs where I'll go out three or four days and do that. Um, I'm also working on new music. I've been do I've been recording singles for the last year or two, and I've I'm, I'm finally putting those together in an album and putting some new songs that I feel like completes that story. And then I'm um I want to I want to jump on a new idea that I have. I have a handful of ideas, but I feel I I really want to write a um, an album of what I call cosmic hymns, hmm. which which is really just like big songs about God. Wow! Right, like really big songs about God, and um. I already kind of have an album title. I almost don't want to say it. Yet. Don't. Yeah, yeah. You but, can hold on to that. File that. But one. I'm, I'm real excited about that. You know, I, I haven't felt that energy in a long time. By energy, I mean like the excitement and the yeah. creativity in that particular area. And so, I'm real excited about that. We'll see how long it takes. Um, but That's I want to cool. jump into that as soon as I finish up some of this other stuff. So I've always got stuff. <laughs> You know? Yeah, dude. I mean, you have to, right? Like that's part of, of being a creative guy is you got, you always got something that you're working on cooking yeah. and doing. Um, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and, and just hang out with me and um, drop your wisdom. Like this has been such a cool hour and uh, hour and a half or whatever of just being able to hang out with you. Um, where can guys find you? So what's the easiest place to to see your shows and uh, buy tickets and all yep. that stuff? I've got a website. It's just johnmarkmcmillan.com. Um, I'm also on uh, Instagram. I'm on all the socials, but I spend the most time on Instagram. So I'm most active there. Um, and so they can connect with me in any of those, any cool. of those places. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's but, been an honor, really, really to be on here with you. And, and it's just great to talk. I enjoy talking to you. I know, dude. It's you're such an easy guy. You're such an easy guy to talk to. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I get on here and, and it's it's challenging, right? Like if the other guy doesn't talk a lot, but man, yeah. you just have so much wisdom and so much experience and it's super cool. So thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, I really you. appreciate you. All right, Brave Come In. Have an incredible week. Stay brave and we will see you next week. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.